Hi everyone, what's your highlight of the week? Thank you for joining us again tonight. This is MIT podcast. MIT stands for Mindset into Transformation. I'm Benjamin Huang, your host tonight. Here we have conversation with people who have done extraordinary things in their life, how their mindset shift to help them achieve it. We discuss their story of success and the mindset that drive them into achieving the impossible. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Today we have a expert in multifamily investing joining us, Travis Watt. Travis is director of investor education at Ashcroft Capital. Travis is a proven leader in the real estate industry, where he has been investing since 2009 in multifamily. Single family and vacation rental. He began investing with Ashcroft Capital several years ago and has taken part in more than thirty percent of the Ashcroft opportunity. He has a background in traditional Wall Street investing and obtained a Series Seven, Series Sixty Three license while working at a major brokerage firm with more than four hundred billions in asset. He is now dedicated his time to educate others. In the world of investing, and has made it mission to share passive investment strategy in order to help others achieve and maintain wealth in real estate. Let's hear what Travers has to share today. His story will be able to help you either kickstart from you know investing in real estate, or just to figure out what your next step is. Thanks for coming to our show, my friend. How are you doing? Hey Benjamin, great to see you again, man. We were just hanging out in San Diego a couple weeks ago, and here we are now on the podcast. I'm doing great. Appreciate the intro, and excited to share with your audience today. Awesome, Travis. Before we get started, although I'd have touched on the、uh, the, the highlight of your background, but just give us a, a brief introduction on who you are and what you have been doing and what you're looking to do. Sure. Yeah, you bet. So I, I'll, I'll frame it this way, which I typically don't do on a podcast. But starting back from childhood,、um, I had two parents that were very frugal-minded. So you know, always using coupons and buying the off-brand and don't spend your money and you know, save up for a rainy day and this kind of stuff. And that was great and it was fine and well until I started really kind of crunching numbers later in life and figuring out, you know, even if I had a high-paying job. And I was very frugal, and I was very, very money conscious. I still have to provide food, you know, and housing, and shelter, and transportation, and insurance, and all these things. I mean, it's not like I can spend zero, you know. And so, if you use an example like ten thousand dollars a month is is my income or something from a job, well, a lot of that goes to taxes. I can't do anything about that. A lot of that goes to the things I just mentioned. And so, even if I'm Very disciplined and very frugal. My max potential in that scenario might be saving, I don't know, three or four thousand dollars per month. And if you run those numbers and you project forward, assuming you know you never expand your lifestyle, you never take lavish vacations, you 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 don't have kids or a family, and and you just kind of live out your life until your eighties or nineties. It still doesn't quite get you there, you know, to to most people's desired comfortable outcome in retirement. So I started tuning into investing pretty early on. I would say about age maybe eighteen, started buying real estate at nineteen, and so you know, been in real estate now thirteen plus years. And the reason I love real estate 
to me personally, you mentioned in my background working for a brokerage firm, doing the Wall Street thing and the stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I did that for my own education. I wanted to not just be a one trick pony and say real estate's the best and everything else sucks. I wanted to really understand why it is real estate's a powerful asset and, and how that stacks up against other options. And real estate just really, to me, has it all. It has the ability to use leverage and debt, which means less of your own money going into a deal, but more powerful potential returns. It has great tax advantages. It can offer you monthly cash flow. You have uh, equity upside potential. You know, if you're getting loans that amortize, you're you're having other people pay off your debt obligations. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So long story short, over the years, the 13 plus of investing, I've put about 80% of my capital into real estate. Most of that's been multifamily, private placements and syndications. But some of that has been self-storage, mobile home parks, note lending, public equities, REITs, car washes, all kinds of things that also produce passive income. So with all that said, my mission today on this podcast and my mission at large is to help people understand how you can invest for cash flow and passive income, and in turn, either choose to live on that income, as I do, as a full-time income, so you don't need a job, not to say you won't have one or that you don't want to do something actively for work, but it's a choice, not an obligation, or how you can use passive income to enhance your lifestyle. So maybe you love your career, maybe you're a, a super happy, awesome doctor, and that's great. No, no need to quit or retire early, but how do you expand onto that and enhance your lifestyle? So that, that's my mission here, and that's a bit of my background and, and what I do. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, Travis, like you said, we are we are not to encourage everybody to quit, quit their job and just dive into real estate, right? Um, we are we are saying that real estate is a, a great vehicle to establish freedom for you to really pursue what you have passion or talent um, on, right? It, it, it absolutely can be. And, and again, the caveat, it's not appropriate for everyone. There's a, when you say real estate, that could mean so many things. And, you know, some real estate is, is very short term in nature. Others could be a, a forever long hold. And so depending if you're 90 years old listening to this or if you're 18, there's different strategies and different business plans that may be more appropriate. So never giving financial advice or telling anybody what they should do. Just painting a picture of some things I've done and some things to, to look at and potentially consider. Right. The Basically the option out there, right? Yeah. So uh, before we dive into further details, right, uh, I think this will resonate with a lot of audience was that, you know, like invest passively and invest uh, actively are two different things. Very right? much so. Actively investing in real estate require you to have extensive knowledge and really know how to run deals, structure deals, and have a network and things like that. Um, you know, and and doing it, you know, passively, it, it re require you, you know, many different things, including right. You need to understand the number. You need to know, you know, how you're putting your capital out to work for right. you, right? So. Today, I think that's set a uh, set a baseline here. We we are going to talk about the strategy that if you have capital or if you are getting um, some savings, you know, monthly from your paycheck or from other incomes, how you can leverage those, you know, excess cash or saving to establish 
you know, yeah. the, the, the wealth or, you know, uh, support your desire, uh, you know, living standard, right? Yep. So let me start by answering that this way. Uh, for anyone listening, if you want to jot these four things down, this is what has inevitably worked for me and, of course, thousands of others in many different ways. Achieve what some call financial independence, financial freedom, time freedom, retirement, whatever you want to call it, right? We all have our, our terms. And one is to earn as much as possible using your highest and best earning potential. So again, I mentioned a doctor as an example earlier. Some people are a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, an attorney, a business owner, a marketer, an engineer. You do you, right? Ideally, find something you enjoy so that you don't burn out and it's more sustainable. Try to make as much as you can doing that or supplement things. So what I did back when as I worked in oil and gas out of college. That's not what I went to school for, but it didn't require extensive background or experience. And, you know, you work your butt off. It was 100-hour work weeks away from home and worked in Saudi Arabia. It was crazy times. And then I supplemented on top of that. And I said, I'm going to flip properties and I'm going to have vacation rentals and I'm going to do real estate the active way. And I'm not proposing anybody take that specific approach because, frankly, that was a recipe for disaster and burnout. And that's what happened after about six years. But my point is that was my highest and best earning potential. So that's number one. OK, number two. And this is, by the way, getting you to financial independence. This is not the forever strategy that you do till you're 90 years old. This is just for a period of time. Number two is live on as little as possible for a period of time, again, not an advocate for use coupons and live below your means till the day you die and you know never have fun in life, don't take vacations. I'm not about that stuff. I'm just saying dedicate five to 10 years, whatever you think it's gonna take you, put a little sacrifice in up front, no matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, you're not getting any younger. So <laughs> now's the best time to start if you haven't already. And so, and that's number two, that's the personal finance budgeting coin that I was kind of taught as a kid that 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 helped. Now, number three and four are things I had to learn on my own. So number three is invest the difference between what you're earning and what you're living on, that margin, into something that produces passive income or cash flow. I named off numerous examples a few minutes ago of things I invest in that produce cash flow. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a ATM machine. It could be a vending machine that you have somebody else servicing, you know, that brings you a monthly check. It doesn't matter. It's just start the process of building up some passive income and hopefully something that has some equity upside. You could sell for a larger price down the road, whether it means a business or a piece of real estate, whatever. Number four is avoid bad debt. Okay. Stop with the keeping up with the Joneses and the, I got to have the newest and the latest and greatest of the cars and the houses and the McMansions. You don't need to impress people that don't care about you. <laughs> and it's just going to tie an anchor to exactly. your ankle in terms of getting to your goals. Okay. So if you have high interest rate debt now, like credit cards that are 20% or whatever, Focus on getting that stuff paid off and paid down. If you have very low interest rate debt, maybe you, I don't know, you financed a car and you got a two or three percent loan, whatever. Maybe let that ride on the side and focus on investing instead. But uh, those are the four that inevitably, with some self discipline, some motivation, some commitment, and a little bit of time on your side, got me to the place of being able to now utilize this passive income 
to actually live on. Okay. And the last thing I'll, I'll end with on this topic is how do you run those numbers? In other words, how much is enough or, you know, how much money do I need to actually live on my investment income? So here's how I think of it. And you may agree, you may disagree, but I'll paint a, a few examples for people in different situations. I've always used what I call the 8% rule. And it was it began in 2015 when I started doing passive multifamily syndication investing. And at that time, it wasn't uncommon that you'd go into a, a deal and you would get a, a minimum of about an 8% annualized cash flow in year number one. And ideally, that was going up every year. The second year, you might have nine, then you might have 10, then you might have 11. So looking at my portfolio as a whole, knowing I have some older deals and some newer deals, I'm trying to average an 8% annualized cash flow, not talking about equity upside and all that stuff. you know. And so if you run those numbers, mm-hmm. you would need 1.25 million invested at 8% annualized to create $100,000 per year in income. By the way, very tax advantaged income on top of that, not having to pay into a lot of the things you do as a W-2, Social Security and Medicare and, and employment taxes, mm-hmm. things like that. So um, so you say, okay, 8%, it, two sides of the coin here. Some people say I can't achieve 8% in today's environment. And other people say, I think I can do better than 8%. So if you want to look at 10% annualized, you only need a million, anything above 10%, you need under a million to invest with, or you say, I want to play it super safe, super conservative. I'm just going to buy some U S treasury bonds or whatever, then say 4% is your number. Well, then you need 2.5 million invested at something that produces 4% to get the same $100,000 outcome. So that's the simple math. I don't think it needs to be much more complicated than that. And that's a great starting point mentally to think about. And to your point uh, earlier, the last last thing I'll say is um, you, you said actively and or active and passive are way different scenarios. So what it comes down to is... It's that you either have time or you have money, okay? It, it, which one? And if you have the money, then passive investing can be what we're talking about here. You can go plug in your million bucks into some investments and create the passive income. If you're starting from zero, then you need to put in the time. And so I started with real estate actively, where I had just bought a $95,000 townhome and put 20% down and I house hacked it. I got a roommate and then that roommate effectively paid my mortgage. And then I branched out and I kind of did the same thing again, bought a fixer upper house, got a roommate. They paid my mortgage. I fixed it up. I sold it. I made a profit. And then a third time. And so I did this for 10 plus years with roommates before I got married and before I had my son and all those kinds of things. So um, started active, did the oil field stuff, did the the vacation rentals and the flips until I had enough uh, built up in income to become a full time passive investor. That's that was the journey, and that's how that unfolded. <laughs> Thanks so much. See you later. Awesome, Travis. And I think we're done here. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean you. Uh, yeah, I mean you. You've been uh, one of the easiest guests to me because you basically laid all out like what you have done and things like that. But let's dive a little yeah. deeper on, you know, when you just get started, you mentioned that you start with, you know, being active, right? And, and by the way, I, I, I love the way you lay out, you know, 
like if you look at different percentage of return, how much yeah. cash you need to involve, uh, you know, invest passively to hit the certain cash flow that you desire, right? So I love that. So if if people you're listening in, right, take note because if you're going to invest passively, yeah. you got to know like how long you still need to work, how long you need to create those excess right. cash right. until you are you can live comfortably you know, without cash flow on yourself, right? So let's dive a little bit more on you turn from active to passive. Mm-hmm. How was the transition? Like, what was your cash at the time, you know, allow you to enable, you know, do this transfer into the passive? And have you been thinking about investing in, you know, passively ultimately or You've been thinking about doing active and there are some sort of mindset shift that guide you into that direction. That's a great question. Uh, a lot to tackle there. So I'm an advocate for do what you love and enjoy. Like that should be the ultimate goal. You may not be able to start there on day one. Okay. Coming out of college or whatever, you may have to be an intern or work in a company you don't like or under bosses you don't like. But like the ultimate goal is get to a point where either you're self-employed and doing what you love or you're a full-time investor or whatever. Um, So with that in mind, the things that I learned from active real estate was I don't enjoy managing tenants. I don't enjoy managing property managers. I just don't enjoy building the teams and find, finding the contractors and having the delays and the stressors. And I, I don't want to be materially involved in the actual business itself. I just want to be the passive investor saying, you guys do it great. And I've seen your track record and results. Here's $100,000 and let me partner with you because I love what you're doing and you do it your way <laughs> and you don't have to call me or bug me you know i'll just be over here collecting checks so for me that was that was the right choice you know but that's not true for everyone so here's what i would say to all the active investors out there uh again time and money right I used this analogy years ago that um, if I was going to invest in a single family home and the projected cash flow was going to be 15% and a passive deal over here, a syndication that I do nothing with, gives me a 10% cash flow, just for example purposes. That should be the kind of setup, right? Because if I'm going to do this active deal, I'm going to have to find it. I'm going to have to underwrite it. I'm going to have to close it. I'm going to have to put someone in it. I'm going to have to hire property managers. I'm going to have to make decisions. I'm going to have to decide everything. This is this is requiring a lot of my time, my energy, my effort, my thoughts. So if it's only giving me 10% and this one's only giving me 10%, then what am I doing? right? I'm, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> the most precious resource we have is our time. We don't get it back, right? You get one go at it. So the last thing I want to do is spend it having headaches and hassles and then underperforming what I yeah. could have been doing in a hands-off manner. So that's something to think about. And the last thing I'll say on this, this topic is when you're going to invest with somebody else, you, you the skill set is it's a front-loaded business. You have to learn your own goals and criteria and what you're trying to accomplish. You have to learn a little bit about the foundation of what it is you're investing in. How does real estate work? Why are markets important? You got to learn some terms like IRR and cap rate. And you just have to understand some fundamentals. 
And then you have to do your due diligence, your background, your homework on these operators and make sure you're going to be making a wise investment. And then once you get rocking and rolling, assuming things go well and you like these people and they're great at communication and the money's rolling in and deals are selling and you're, you're flipping things over, uh, it gets a lot easier. It gets so much easier five years down the road. I was very stressed out and skeptical on day one. And five years later was a whole different story. And now we're, we're coming closer to, to the 10 year period as things have just turned over. I've realized what I like and don't like about different operators, things like that. So bottom line is you do you. Um, what I would say is get to know and understand how returns work on a passive syndication. So there's going to be an element usually of cash flow if it's a stabilized property that's uh, producing, and then hopefully an element of equity upside. When you execute the business plan, you renovate the units and the property and the branding and all these things, and then you sell. So when you combine those two metrics, the cash flow and the equity, and you come up with, say, an IRR, an internal rate of return, let for simple purposes, let's call it 15 to 20%. My advice to anybody doing active deals is if you're not making 15 to 20% annualized, really consider what you're doing <laughs> because there may be a better approach uh, right. and it may be a more hands-off and easier passive approach. And 15 Maybe. to 20% is the cash on cash. Right. So that could come from refinances, sales, you know, cash flow. It's Everything. kind of an overall combination when the deal goes all the way full cycle in three right. to five years or whatever. Tax so, benefit. Like yeah. Like just that. we're looking at a total return. And the same thing, you'd want to look at your single family home or your duplex example or your fourplex. What's the cash flow? What's the end result potential? And if it's not these numbers are better, why are you spending so much time on it then? Because <laughs> you because you could better off invest in elsewhere, you know, passively and get those return easily. Right. Well, potentially, right? Potentially, There's always the disclaimer yeah. we have to throw right, out. Right. We can't ever, you know, guarantee or promise. I'm not saying every deal is going to perform that way, but at large, if that's the projections, um, then yeah, you you would just you would want to do Some better if you're going to be spending your time. You got to compensate yourself for your time. And when I was 19 years old in real estate, my time wasn't worth very much. I was willing, frankly, to go work for like 20 bucks an hour, you know? So if that's what my return broke down to, I was fine with it. But today, I would never consider $20 an hour of my time. Mm -hmm. That's not worth my time at all. And you got to think a lot of people that do passive investing are, again, doctors, dentists, lawyer, attorney, they're billing out three, 400 bucks an hour professionally. You think they want to go flip a house for 20 bucks an hour on the weekend? No. No. <laughs> so you got to know your time so. value. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Travis, in your current role, you must be facing a lot of investor and right. You're being a, the one in charge on how, you know, uh, passive, you know, investor need to, you know, educate themselves to a certain degree to invest in project. Right. What are the common questions that you've been hearing and what are those, you know, um, you know, the, the comments, you know, resistant that you're right. seeing investor um, before they take any action? Yeah, it's a great question. And we're recording at the tail end of 2022. So let's talk about the two big elephants in the room, right? Rising interest rates and inflation and a really bought up market. You know, multifamilies just seems to get more and more popular every year. There's more people diving into the space. Uh, Wall Street and, you know, big institutional capitals buying this product type. Uh, syndicators are buying this property type. 
you know, hedge funds and family offices and individuals. So cap rates have come down, right? Yields have come down. When we talk about the 8% rule, new deals I'm seeing today aren't necessarily 8% year one out of the gate. They could be 5 or 6% out of the gate. So that is compression of the popularity of the asset class. So one, hard to find deals. Two, rising interest rates, what, what happens with that is, and the reason that's happening, of course, is, is the Fed's trying to cut down on the inflation. We're at 40-year high inflation. We're running 8 9% year over year. So the Fed is trying to slow the economy, slow the demand so that inflation can trickle back down to their target of whatever it is, 2 or 3% or something. So what happens in terms of real estate, though, is when the Fed hikes rates by, let's call it 1%, just for simple math, well, the borrowing cost just got more expensive for your potential buyer of your property. And now they're probably going to need a price reduction or some kind of concession. They're going to have to do something to compensate for the extra cost that they now have to bear. And so that's kind of what we're seeing now. Very slow moving ship in the commercial space. But we're starting to see roughly about a 10% discounting on commercial multifamily real estate because of the rapid rise of rates. Okay. So, but here's how it's different. If you talk about new development real estate, okay, there, these developers right now are getting hit on two sides. They have higher carry costs, higher construction loans and things like this as they go through their business model. So that hurts. And then the more rates are coming up, the more they're getting hit on their potential sale price on the back end. Okay, so it's really not a great scenario. The one thing they have going for them is that we're severely underdeveloped for affordable housing nationwide. So it's good that they're still moving forward. But when you talk about value add real estate, when you have pre-existing multifamily with tenants already in place and you have high inflation, like eight, nine percent a year, that helps justify lifting the rents up. Okay, and so it's kind of like this equilibrium that we're in right now where the Fed raises rates. Ouch. We just get hurt on potential sale price, but Mm -hmm. we just raised our rents one hundred dollars a month on a four hundred unit. Well, that just added millions of dollars back into the property. And then the Fed raises rates again. Ouch. We get hit. But then we're doing a value add plan. We're making the community better. So we're able to justify raising those rents a little bit more. And that just adds millions of dollars back into the property. So we're kind of in a stabilization. This is why I like value add and class B and C multifamily, because it's always a bit of a sweet spot in any market. There's always people demanding this product type in an uptrend market, in a flat, stagnant market, and even in a declining market. In fact, the Great Recession, 2008 to 2010, if you look at that time frame and you look at Class B multifamily, the average rent drops nationwide were about $125 per month. And that was at you know peak to trough, the mm-hmm. absolute worst of the recession. It took less than two years from that point to fully recover to the pre-recession market rents because we were in a recession. People were losing houses. People needed affordable places to live. And that's the whole point is it's not recession proof. Nothing is. It's recession resistant. And that's what Mm -hmm. I like to say about this asset class and why You know, my philosophy is if I'm going to put years of my time, effort and energy into learning something, 
it better sustain me for decades on end because this is a lot of work to learn up front and I don't want to get to be a master of something and then have to start all over in five exactly. years and it's completely obsolete, doesn't make sense anymore and I have to go learn something new. Exactly. So, it's just like you go to medical school and it turns out medical doctor only only make like 50 grand a year or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, some of these technology degrees you pay 100 grand for and you're learning a technology of 2022 if you go work in some other field for 20 years and come back to it, you don't know anything. Exactly. So <laughs> it's not yeah. my preference. Yeah, Travis, I appreciate the advice that you um, give to our audience. I think, at least from my personal experience, you know, many investors are now being aware that you know, market conditions are changing. And they look at the operator and the deals you know, more carefully you know, not only looking at the potential target return, but also potential exit strategy, right? Um, yep. And the cost of debt is actually one huge piece of it, Yeah. right? You know, when interest rate goes up higher, um, some deals are essentially just turning to, you know, not sellable, right? I mean, even if you can assume those debt, the, mm-hmm. When it's time to renew, say within a year or next eighteen months, you know you are still looking at a much higher interest rate, meaning your co- uh, cost of debt is going to be much more expensive. And yeah. not even mention about the other piece of the existing equity that you potentially also need to finance. You can only get like fifty percent at maximum, right? Right. In our, in our, in our market condition. So how do you see? You know those deal that become unsellable, right? Because in in residential, you may argue that it's either price or term, right? Uh-huh. You know, if the price drop to a certain degree, will make eventually make it a good deal. But in, yeah. in commercial real estate or you know multifamily apartments real estate, those doesn't seem to be sharing the same logic. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So this is another reason why, for example, real estate is too large of a term to to say, what are you even talking about? Hotels, self-storage, single-family homes. So this is why single-family homes are so much more volatile. This is why the statistics of 2008, 9, and 10 were millions of people losing their homes and foreclosures left and right. You're you're dealing with one person in that household and their specific circumstance. If they have to up and move, And they have to because their livelihood depends on it. Their job says, we need you to move to Texas now. And their house is underwater, so to speak, you know, like they owe more than it's worth. They take a loss. You know what I mean? As compared to a syndication that may have hundreds or thousands of investors where it's pre-thought out ahead of time that we're going to hold this for five, seven, or 10 years. And we have some flexibility to work with. And a lot of people are being impacted. So- the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, comprises a lot of the loans that go on commercial multifamily real estate. And one more fact about 2008, 9, and 10, they had less than a 1% default rate on those loans throughout the Great Recession. So something to think about, again, when compared to single family homes and how many people lost homes during during that time frame. So to answer your question, what's becoming a lot less, um, uh, what's drying up quickly right now are these these very short-term bridge loans. This idea that I'm going to tie up a property, have a floating adjustable rate for six to 12 months, and then I'm going to try to put long-term financing on it once I get through a quick rehab. Well, 
in the process of that adjusting loan, uh, you know, the Fed just keeps upping the rates and upping the rates and upping the rates. So what you hope to get, you know, a 5% mortgage could end up being an 8% mortgage that could completely ruin your deal. So one thing I love that Joe Fairless pointed out in his book, the best ever apartment syndication book years ago, is you want to put longer debt term on the on the the asset than what you intend on holding it for. So if you think you're going to buy a property and be done with it in 3 years and try to sell, to your point, you want to try to make that an assumable loan. If it's adjustable, you want to buy an interest rate cap so that you're not unlimited risk to the mm-hmm. upside of what the Fed does. And then Three, let's say you got a seven-year debt term on it and you're anticipating selling in year three. Well, that gives you three to four years of extra flexibility on what you're going to (laughs) do, you know? And so you just have to be more conservative to your point as a passive investor and as an operator. Everybody has to be more conservative today. When you look at what's the cap rate I'm buying at today, What's the potential exit cap rate down the road? That needs to be a higher number, and that's not a good thing. That means the market has softened. That means your valuation has gone down, but you want to project that way. And so you you, you have to anticipate we're not going to have as, gr- as aggressive of rent bumps as what we've seen in the last two years. You're going to have to anticipate interest rates going up. You're going to have to think that cap rates are going to go up, and it's going to be a softer market. And if you run all these conservative projections and you still find that there's some solid cash flow to be had and some potential equity upside and those numbers make sense for you or for your investors, I still think it's a time to invest. I'm still investing this year. I invested a lot last year. And the way I look at it, because I'm a long-term player in the space, it's dollar cost averaging. I mentioned that we're seeing 10% price cuts right now. I'm all about it, man. That's 10% mm-hmm. discounts, right? And we're still seeing huge rent bumps happen on top of that. So it's kind of a great scenario. So um, yeah, some people are going to inevitably lose properties with improper deck structure and being levered up too high and mismanaged portfolios. And it's always going to happen. It's just a lot less common when you get to these three, four, five, 600 unit buildings than what you might see with a duplex or a four unit or a single family home or something like that. So just something to, to keep in mind. And a reason that attracted me to this asset class to begin with is that kind of diversification. You know, if we've got a break even occupancy of 70% on a large building, that means we might have 60 to 80 tenants that are not even occupying units or not even paying us rent. And we're still not losing money. But when I had my single family homes, it was an all or nothing game. It was either I was getting paid and I was cash flow positive or I was completely underwater and I was losing money every single month because no one was there and I wasn't getting any rent and I had property tax and insurance and HOAs and maintenance and the whole deal to deal with. So something, again, worth considering if you're in the space or looking to get into the investing space. Awesome, Travis. So today we have covered a lot of the nitty-gritties that passive investors need to look at, right? And also, you're right, your experience and what you have gone through, you share those wisdom to people who just get started, right? Really look at the numbers first and figure out how much of cash that you want to put in, assuming you only get like 8%, 10%, whatever, you know, return that you are comfortable to invest on, Right. Um, and really figure those number out so you have a game plan, right? And uh, the other great point that Travers 
just mentioned about was that you know if you are in the game long term, right? Even if you look like idiots in the very short term, over time you are still the smartest man in the in the room, right? You know, it, related to stocks, right? So if you're a S and P 500 advocate, that's where you're going to put all your money the rest of your life. By all means, whatever. But if you look back ten years at some ten percent correction, was that a good time to invest? Absolutely. Look at where the market is now. Even though it's down, you know, 20, 30% this year, you're still way up from where you were 10 years ago. And that's the whole point is I'll take the 10% discount. I'll take the 20%. Like you're just going to average out over the long run. That's a great point. Awesome. Awesome. Travis, how can people find you? Yeah. So I want to mention this. I usually don't do these giveaways, but um, I want to give two things away up to you guys. Uh, You can uh, DM me on social media. I'm on BiggerPockets, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Travis Watts, or at Passive Investor Tips on Instagram and Facebook. I've got a built out, I've been working on a, 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 an all-inclusive budget since high school, and I've been tweaking it every year since. And what it includes is your income, your expenses, your assets, your liabilities, your historics, your net worth. It shows you a lot of cool data. It's all just built out on an Excel sheet, something I just created from scratch. Happy to give that away to anybody. No upsell, no program, no book. And the other thing is I've, I've, I've got a, uh, I call it an FI calculator, and FI stands for financial independence calculator. And you can play around with numbers to answer your own questions for you. How much do you need to retire? Play around with it. Plug in a million bucks, plug in two million, plug in how much percentage you think you're going to get a year. You can even play with things like inflation and what you think inflation is going to be. And it's going to give you a roadmap and a visual graph of either when you're going to run out of money or if you're going to have an infinite yield curve all the way up, which means even though you're pulling money out of your portfolio, your net worth is still going to go up indefinitely. So uh, give those away to you guys. You can also go to uh, ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis and happy to set up a 15 minute Q&A call. No upsells. Any questions you have, happy to answer them. Awesome, Travis. One question we ask all our guests is if if there's any books that you would recommend, you know, that has uh, heavily influenced you or, you know, for new investor, they have to read. Yeah, man. So there's so many. So here's what I do. I read a lot of how to on particular subjects, but then I have to kind of bounce out of that and do a little bit of mindset and motivation and things like that. So I'll give you three books real quick. Uh, the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fairless was produced, I don't know, three, four years ago. And it, whether you're active or passive, it's like a 400 page book that really outlines what we're talking about, goes in a lot more depth than what we're able to cover here. Um, Tony Robbins, what is it? Uh, Unleash the Power Within is a great mindset motivation book just to kind of get you to sit down, articulate your goals, what you're looking to do and, and kind of make and, and take action towards them. And Ryan Holiday wrote, wrote, wrote a great book uh, called The Daily Stoic. And so the Stoics were, you know, nearly 2000 years ago and still very relevant philosophy to today's world just helps you get through and tune out some of the noise that we have today, some of the um, you know scary news headlines, and and just you know it's it's about focusing on what's in your control, articulating again what are you, what's your mission, what are you trying to accomplish, and helping you easily, more easily get there. And so that's uh, the the daily stoic. 
So. Awesome, Travis. Before we end, I do want to give a quick uh, reminder to all our listener and our audience. Right, don't just sit there and consume all those content. Right, make sure you take some actions. Take you you rather take one actions every day than take it hundreds of actions just one day. Okay, take some actions. Really listen to what Travis is, has been suggesting and all our other guests has been suggesting. Right, see what worked for you. Figure it out, figure out your game, game plan, take actions, right? That's the only way that will get you to where you want to get to. Travis, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I hope you enjoy our conversation because I certainly love it. Um, do come back. Um, we, we need, there's a lot more topic we, we can dive in, you know, even deeper. Thank you, Benjamin. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Always happy to be a resource. And to Benjamin's point, if you are interested in being a passive investor in general, there is an easy, low barrier of entry, which would be you could open up a free brokerage account with some of these brokerage firms. You could buy one share of a publicly traded REIT, a real estate investment trust that pays a monthly distribution. And literally for as little as $10, you could get started and be a passive investor. So do take action, even if it's something like that, which is what I'm teaching my nephews to do right now in, in their life and uh, all the way up to doing the, the $100,000 deals in the syndication space. So um, appreciate everyone's time. Thank you, Benjamin. Awesome. Thank you, Travis.